This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. It's no secret that rice is life. It's one of the staples of our Malaysian food. We can't seem to live without it. But have you heard of alum rice? Now, environmental journalism portal Makaranga recently released an in-depth article on alum rice called Sowing Seeds of Resilience in Alum Rice, which looks at alum rice farming in Sarawak in particular and its contributions to addressing food security concerns and also how they are safeguarding alum rice varieties. So today on the show, I'm joined by Liani MK. She was, she is a Makaranga contributing writer. She's the one who spearheaded this article. Wong Siu Lin, a Makaranga editor. And Peter Tadam, who is a tour guide from the farming community of Long Samado, Sarawak. They're going to help us understand more about this. Welcome, everyone. How are you today? Fine, thank you. Good to have you all on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. So, I, folks, you know, uh, Peter is joining us all the way from Sarawak. So there might be some connectivity issues, but uh, yeah, just bear with us. Uh, but, you know, thank you so much, Peter, for, for joining us as well, all of you. So I think um, maybe, Suleen, I just want to quickly start with you, right? So uh, I, I mentioned the article uh, that Makaranga released, right? So Sowing Seeds of Resilience in Alum Rice. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about why this was something that uh, you wanted to explore? Absolutely. When Liani came to us with the story, uh, the story idea, we thought, okay, right, um, rice shortage, uh, we're going to get it. And this was like months ago. And then the rice shortage happened. Yes. And it was due to climate change. Uh, and uh, it really was an ideal story to follow up from something we did in September 2022, which talked about, you know, uh, warned about the effects of climate change on our local rice. Now, this happened in India. The climate impacts happened in India. Uh, we also talked about, in that 2022 article, about the possibility of um, a rice shortage globally because India at that time had just curtailed exports of wheat. And as the largest rice producer in the world, if there was, um, if their rice production was going to be hit, it would probably hit us in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And it did. <laughs> and it did, yes. And the reason for that is because um, we are importing so much rice. Uh, we're aiming for a self-sufficiency level nationally of 80%. However, um, in 2021, we were importing 44%. And Liani afterwards will probably tell you something about uh, self-sufficiency levels in Sarawak as well. Um, and the problem is the ringgit is not doing very well, to put it mildly, at the moment. So if we're importing rice. Um, you know, it's going to just cost more to import. The, the import prices are going to go up. But more worrying than that is what if we don't even have rice to import? So one of the things we're trying to do is uh, with this article is to, to try and look at solutions. Uh, because, it, you know, who suffers disproportionately when there is a, a shortage of food, right? Who does food security hit hardest? It's always the poor. It's always the indigenous people. And so what we have here is actually um, a nice uplifting example of uh, a community, only one, and there are several, uh, who are actually doing something. They have enough rice. And so what is it that they're doing right? And could that sort of approach to rice farming provide solutions for the rest of the country? And hence the article. Okay. And Liani, this is something that interested you as well, something that you were very intrigued about as well. Can you tell us why? Well, I'm also half Sarawakian and growing up, you know, we would also have supplies from my auntie who would send her own rice that she farmed in her village. Mm. So it's really quite common among a lot of indigenous communities in, especially in East Malaysia, where they would farm their own rice for their own consumption. And so, you know, looking at ongoing discussions now with the whole rice shortage and, you know, even like as Suleen mentioned, you look at Sarawak itself, uh, 
we consume, I mean, so much of rice, like about 80 to 90%, uh, but are from Sarawak, but then it's only able to provide enough, uh, like half of its demand. It's only able to meet half of that demand. Mm -hmm. Even as recently, it's up to 34 to 38%. So that's quite worrying, actually, that we can't meet our own rice production demands. And this, again, is about modern rice varieties. So there is lack of also focus on the traditional rice varieties. And this is um, why I wanted to highlight this in the article too, is that, you know, there's another way of looking at food security in Malaysia and looking at other varieties that we have. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and so heirloom rice, right? I mean, uh, I'm not sure who wants to take this, but, you know, could you provide us an overview of the characteristics of heirloom rice paddy varieties, how they actually differ from, you know, as you mentioned, Liani, the modern rice varieties that we have here in Malaysia? So the modern rice varieties are the medium white, uh, medium grain white rice that you usually see in the market. Uh, and they contribute to about 90% of Malaysia's rice production. And, you know, they, and there's a reason for that, right? They actually have a higher yield, um, up to like over 15 meter metric tons uh, per hectare. And they also mature much faster, which means you can harvest them more. And even in Sarawak recently, the, the premier actually indicated that, you know, they want to even plant a hybrid variety that you can harvest three times a year. So there's so much potential for more modern rice varieties and to feed the nation. Uh, on the other hand, you have traditional rice varieties, which, you know, they come in so many different shapes, sizes, tastes, textures. And so there's just so much that's not even been documented even. But um, although they yield much uh, less and they were so maturing less, mm-hmm. which means only harvest once a year, um, there's still a lot of potential to look into that because there are particular traits that they carry that could be studied and also uh, help us understand, especially with the changing climate today. But perhaps Peter could also explain about the different varieties found in his village. Yeah, Peter, please. Can you, I mean, so you're from Long Samadu, of course, in Sarawak. You want to tell us a little bit about, you know, what it's like in your, uh, where, where you're staying. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, as, as Liani mentioned, you know, the types of uh, rice that you have uh, growing there. So Long Sumadu is uh, located about three to four hours drive from Lavas Town, the near nearby town. We are located uh, somewhere around 900 to 1,000 meter above sea level. So the the weather is just nice, chill, and relaxing. Uh, morning breeze and and uh, very nice sunset. So um, we we live in this. Highland, and we we call it home. So, majority of the population that we have around is Lunbawang. Okay. Yeah. So, all all of this Lunbawang, majority or uh, all of them are doing farming, which is um, specifically in planting rice, the heirloom rice. So, we we consume this rice since since a young age and we might uh, bring the rice together with us whenever we go. So this is uh, a little bit of um, how, uh, who we are and uh, how, how, how important rice to us this day. And how do uh, indigenous farmers in Sarawak, how do they traditionally farm heirloom rice? You know, what are some of the reasons you prefer these traditional varieties over the modern ones? One of the good questions, and this is something that always in my mind, we could go to modern uh, method of farming, mm-hmm. which is um, 
can be practiced in in other in other places but for that reason farming or rice is part of lunbawang um, culture and tradition and uh, most of the the varieties of rice that we have today is has been kept for generation and it's it quite interesting according you know like um, uh, what yani saying just now the the varieties of um, local herbs here is is come from a different size different textures different taste even when you you consume them you can see that the textures is completely completely different and and it's very interesting that it have to be kept and store for the next generation mm. yeah and could you describe to us the, the different methods that farmers use uh, to store those uh, alum rice seeds for future generations what you were just mentioning earlier it's it's quite simple i saw my mom doing uh, <laughs> the storage she she will wander around the the, the first uh, harvest within the first plot so she will pick the best seed among the paddy and for sure she will go uh, when the sun is up and uh, let all of the the paddy or the grain so it it can be kept in dry dry condition so she will uh, pluck it up and uh, keep it in all sarong <laughs> that she she no longer use <laughs> and um, tie it up and keep it at the safe place for sure to keep it from bugs mm-hmm. um, rats and most of the time she will bring the the seed back to our uh, home and leave it on, on top of the fireplace where we keep our wood fire so it can be kept long and she can monitor it all the time so oh. safe from rats lah okay yeah. okay and this of course are things that she learned from i guess you know her parents and her grandparents and it's just uh, you know passed down through the generations would i be right in saying that yes yes she she learned and and she will pass it uh, to us to so you. i think she she always you know when we are there she always you know look at the 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 seeds that she have so make sure that we know what she's doing and mm-hmm. i think that's the the same practice where she has been taught from the the, the young age yeah okay w- would you say there are any you know very specific challenges faced um, by farmers uh, who are cultivating alum rice varieties uh, and if so you know how do these challenges impact the overall production of alum rice i think there are a few challenges that we we, we have to face okay. because um, uh, at the moment according to my list we have over 20 different varieties of helum rice that has been planned and kept uh, within the, the community at the moment the challenges is we we cannot keep the seed for quite a long time i mean you can keep them for two or three years but maybe up to 10 years Mm. Uh, there will be no value on the seeds anymore. You couldn't, you couldn't plant it. And again, uh, we we quite depending on a commercial uh, value, especially for particular varieties, especially Adan rice, mm. uh, black kaladi rice, uh-huh. which um, have uh, a good uh, value for local. And for for us. 
most of the time we plant the valuable or commercial value helms and the rest um, we, we can uh, produce them anymore so it is difficult to to keep or to store the, the seed for a long time and actually each of farmers here we we don't have a bigger plot it can be divided in, into a several plot but let's say we have 29 um, varieties so we cannot plant it in in this 29 uh, plot mm. of rice mm. so that is one of the challenges that i can see today Okay. All right. Um, let's just go for one quick break. When we come back, uh, I just want to talk about, you know, that very important question of how uh, heirloom rice varieties can actually contribute to food security. I'm speaking today to Liani MK. She's a Makaranga contributing writer, Wong Sulin, editor and co-founder of Makaranga, and Peter Tadam, a tour guide from the farming community of Long Samado in Sarawak. We are talking about heirloom rice today and how it could be an answer to our food security. We are seeing a shortage of rice. We are seeing a, a bit of a food crisis happening. So we'll discuss more of that after this quick break. Keep it here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. On the line with me today, Peter Tadam, a tour guide from the farming community of Long Samado in Sarawak, Wong Sulin, the editor of Makaranga, and Liani MK, a Makaranga contributing writer. We are talking about heirloom rice today. And uh, Makaranga, the environmental journalism portal, recently released an article, a very in-depth one, called Sowing Seeds of Resilience in Heirloom Rice, which looks at heirloom rice farming in Sarawak and also its contributions towards addressing food security concerns and also how we can safeguard heirloom rice varieties. So before the break, Peter, you were explaining, uh, you know, how it's done uh, in your in your village in Sarawak, in Long Smado. And, um, you know, there's many, many varieties. As you know, as Liani, as you mentioned as well in your article, and as you said earlier, you know, in Sarawak, you managed, there's, there was enough, right? There was never a shortage. Um, in, in what ways, you know, do heirloom rice varieties contribute to that whole question of food security, right? How, considering they have longer plant maturity periods and they also have lower yields compared to modern varieties? Right, so there's still a lot that we don't know actually about heirloom rice varieties. And if you go to research institutes or government agencies like Mardi, mm -hmm. which does a lot of research and they also have their own gene bank, uh, there is there's ongoing research uh, on particular traits that you can find in traditional rice varieties that could contribute to you know managing the different environmental changes that we're going through right now. And so speaking to one of the research officers at Marty, he, he himself is researching on, you know, how a high salt content in water could impact uh, uh, rice. And because there are certain varieties that can withstand uh, high salinity. And this is important because, you know, when we look at areas like Terengganu, Kelantan, or places that are, you know, experiencing floods, um, when you have floods, you know, a, a lot of salt water is intruding into the Mm. into the paddy field. So these are, you know, leading to, I mean, it can cause a reduction in our rice and and affect our crops. So these are certain research that are being done. So heirloom rice varieties can offer that kind of uh, new no uh, knowledge about, you know, how can we manage drought? How can we manage flood? And this in itself can help us understand, uh, you know, how can we secure our food better, not just in terms of high production and high yield, but in terms of its characteristics. At the same time, it's recently there's a, a policy report by Kazana Research Institute mm. that actually talks about promoting rice and commercializing it because it holds the potential in, you know, having actually 
um, contributing a higher GDP to the to the state and to the country. And um, because this heirloom rice can be sold in niche markets as specialty uh, rice. So there's still a lot of potential in, uh, there. Just um, going to jump in here, uh, just to give a little bit of context. I think a lot of our rice growing areas are by the coast. Therefore, rising sea levels will cause uh, salt water to enter into uh, paddy fields, which is actually what's happening in, for example, in Kedah. Mm -hmm. It is a real problem. That's why the need to develop uh, varieties that can withstand salt water content. Uh, so that's a little bit of context with regards to the salt water research that Liani mentioned. And, and the other thing I wanted to say also is that just again, in, in terms of context, uh, the biggest threat to food security is probably climate change at the moment. And therefore, researchers like Mardi, who actually, I think, uh, Liani, if I'm not wrong, they produce about 95% of commercial rice varieties that are being planted throughout the country. So they are a very, very important institute when it comes to protecting food security when it comes to rice in this country. Uh, and, and, and therefore, um, you know, it is important to sort of study all these different varieties such uh, of rice, for example, the traditional varieties such as what Peter's uh, community is, is planting in Long Samado because they have been passed down from generation to generation. As what Peter was saying, his mother goes out and he selects, she selects the best seeds. That means these are the rice varieties, right, Peter, that grow first, that sort of produce first, that ripen first. So that's already one trait that they, as Indigenous people, know how to select for. Mm. So on a research level, I guess that's what institutes do. They select certain traits that can withstand uh, you know, salinity, that can withstand drought, uh, and, and so on and so forth, all the different climate um, uh, issues that are impacting our rice. I just also want to share just one very quick statistic from our research from two years ago. And it's basically that uh, in the, um, the the three largest granaries in Malaysia, in peninsular Malaysia, uh, rice yield is expected to reduce by 31% by 2030. That's the year in which Malaysia has committed to reduce our greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions by about 45%. So these years, like 2030, 2050, they are really important. And so we want to look at the projection and where we are going uh, in that time, you know. Okay. And I, I do want to ask also, I just want to go back to to these, um, you know, particularly alum varieties, right, and these sorts of specialty rice, right? I mean, so yes, clearly play a crucial role in improving food availability for us, right? But how about specifically in Sabah and Sarawak, you know, how does it contribute to addressing the rice self-sufficiency levels that we were talking about, especially in rural uh, populations? So it's it still doesn't contribute a major percentage to the total rice production in Sarawak, mm -hmm. right? Still in terms of subsistence farming, but in terms of commercializing it, uh, even you know the deputy minister of the Ministry of Food Industry, Commodification and uh, com Commodity, sorry, and has also said that you know this rice can be sold for fifteen ringgit per per kilo to niche markets. So, you know, there's there's potential in contributing towards. Uh, the economy of the state. And at the same time, if we look at, you know, one of the pillars of food security, uh, food utilization. So how is it uh, providing a nutritional value to the, you know, the people in the, in the state? And, mm. uh, you know, with, with heirloom rice, there are certain traits that, you know, although there are limited research on it, but there is certain traits within these heirloom varieties that are more nutritional, like speaking to one trader in Lawas market, you know, he he mentioned that oh, he actually has a high. There's actually a high demand for 
heirloom varieties, like the Adan variety from Langsamadu, because uh, they, you know, hospitals are actually recommending children to have it or mm. to, to patients to eat it. And at the same time, you know, barrio rice, which is quite a well-known rice in Sarawak, it, you know, it has a very low glycemic index, about 55, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And so there, and, and you know, there are also research institutes like UP, uh, UKM who are producing uh, new rice varieties to based on local heirloom, like, like the red rice, to have a lower glycemic index. So it's not just about the quantity of the rice that can help with food security, but also the quality of it that can help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to jump in and say, yeah, self-sufficiency can happen at different levels, at, at state level and at national level, but it also happens at community level. Mm. And and Peter, may, maybe you know, Peter can share, you produce so much rice, you are never short of rice. Is that correct, Peter? Yes, absolutely. There's no uh, shortage of rice within the community. And we find out that having the rice in a different different way is, is so much interesting. We, we can produce the rice in, in the form of a fritter. So we we pound the, the black varieties of rice, which is one of the, the the sticky black variety rice. And you can have it with your coffee in the morning. Oh, wow. Okay. And we, we mix rice the, the way we do porridge. So we can add up uh, fish, fish uh, fillet inside, or um, pork, pork belly, or whatever. It's part of our food, our daily food. And uh, the, the leftover rice, um, we dry it. And uh, one, once it's completely dry, we fry it. And it can, it can turn up into a uh, you know, kind of popcorn where you can eat it while uh, watching movie. <laughs> so th- this is type of, you know, like a different way of having the rice and again um the white rice the the tiny grain we call it adan we we roast it and add the a little bit you know like a, a two bit of um sugar and caramelize it and it can turn up into a brown coffee oh. or some, some people they call it uh, brown tea so in in daily basis you can consume the rice in, in different different way. Mm-hmm. So this is how how rice is very important, and we very much depend to our rice. And again, the leftover rice, we we have been eating so much popcorn rice, <laughs> pop rice, <laughs> pop rice. <laughs> the, the 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 leftover we we feed our livestock. Okay. So the, nothing goes to waste. Wonderful. Yeah. And of course, the community then, you know, is working as well to safeguard these sorts of practices as well, isn't it? Could you explain how you guys are doing that as well? Yeah. So how are you making sure that, you know, these traditions are maintained? How are you protecting these sorts of um, traditional rice farming methods in your community? At the moment, there's, there's no interest among youth to, to take part okay. in this, uh, um, you know, traditional method. But for sure... This thing will happen automatically, or it can um, turn up into uh, more interesting farming because of the value of the rice. Mm. So, I I do understand that 
this youth or teenager in the village they they, they could go out to town and search for uh, seek for a good job mm. but if if you can um standardize or stabilize the price of rice or commercial rice there will be a, a good point to have them around in the kampong to do the the farming and and go to the traditional one this is my my point of view and i think every uh harvest after harvest season we we do uh, a celebration kind of um um thanksgiving party mm-hmm. where we invite all all of the villagers share the best um fresh uh, rice they have and share it with everyone and we started to have a visitors to to join in and to test the fresh and the the new harvest and they appreciate it so i think in this way we can um, get more people in tech and people will have interest and they might buy or consume more of our rice mm. so there's also an ecotourism sort of aspect to it sorry peter i interrupted you yes yes this is uh, kind of uh, what we are doing we we want people to to know and understand what we are doing in the kampong instead of uh, experience the, the hospitality go go and hike or explore the, the jungle but actually what they enjoy every morning afternoon and dinner it's it's all come from the the kampong effort that most people don't don't really interested to know I don't know. I want to come and try this coffee and the rice. Co- I'm like, Oof. Come. I'm me too. Me waiting too. for <laughs> invitation to come in. <laughs> Go on a tour but, with you, but Peter. First, but first, you have to come and experience how how tough and how how taxing the the harvest. But somehow, it's it's quite fun. Okay. Harvesting season. <laughs> in fact, um, while I was there, and Peter was my host, mm-hmm. he. Every day was just local rice and vegetables from the farm directly, meat mm. from. The farm. So it's it's almost like everything is farmed themselves, and especially the rice. So again, um, sustain food sustainability right there, isn't it? Everything and no waste, as Peter said, is uh, uh, right. Nothing goes to waste. Whatever is left over goes to the, the the livestock. So perfect circular system there. Okay, all right. And would you say that you know the you know the agencies, the government agencies, our research institutes? Do you think they're doing enough uh, to safeguard these sorts of traditional uh, rice farming in Malaysia? Um, what from your research, Liani? What would you say? There have been a lot of efforts. Um, the Department of Agriculture of Sarawak and also Mardi and and different government agencies have actually worked with local farmers mm-hmm. providing you know, uh, fertilizers uh, to help with their crops or new seeds. Um, but there could still a lot, a lot more could still be done for sure. Uh, a lot of farmers actually, and even researchers talk about the need for better infrastructure, uh, like irrigation for the paddy fields, especially now with the changing weather. And, you know, currently it's it's relying on their own uh, or uh, their own irrigation system or one that has been built many years ago. Mm. So there, there's still a need to improve that. And, um, you know, farmers at Long Sumadu, where we were chatting, people express their openness to try new technology, you know, new innovation. Um, they've tried so many different types of machines to plant, to mill. They have their own milling machine. Mm. Every household has one. Um, and so recently in a neighboring village also, there's a new method called the systems of rice intensification 
method, the SRI method, which is actually originally from Maldives. And it's a very scientific-based uh, approach on organic uh, farming. But it helps um, traditional farmers yield even twice the amount of what they actually plant. So these have already been practiced in Bakalalan, a neighboring village. And it was actually um, assisted by the WWF and the government agencies. And so there are some potentials there where, you know, uh, government agencies and NGOs could work together to, to help uh, encourage, you know, local um, traditional farming and traditional rice variety because the demand is there, you know, farmers want to plant it. You know, as one researcher told me too, farmers want to plant it anyway. So why not, you know, why not uh, expand on that? Yeah, I'm just going to jump in and say that I think Mardi's uh, rice gene bank is is absolutely critical. It's just like how Peter's community, they know how to save their seeds because they need to plant them for the next year's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, next year's season. Uh, Mardi's gene bank has over 13,000 rice accessions, what they call roughly sort of genetic materials, not just locally, but uh, internationally as well. And, and, and basically, you know, we have about, uh, according to them, 8,000 varieties of traditional rice, right, Liani? Yeah, 8,000 varieties, right? Uh, and, and yet there's more that haven't been collected. Can you imagine 8,000? I think a lot of times people say, you know, oh, why should we conserve biodiversity? You know, what does biodiversity mean? Well, here's your example of how important it is to conserve the different varieties and the diverse varieties of rice for the sake of our food security. Because if you don't have this huge pool to sort of pull from, how are you going to select, you know, how are you going to be able to say, okay, so this particular species is very good for drought. So if there's no rain at all for like six months, which variety should we take, you know, that we can try and examine and and, and use, uh, you know, find out which gene it is, if you can locate which gene it is that helps with this rice being able to stand no water for six months. So this is why we need biodiversity in everything like rice. And people forget that rice actually is, it's not just a crop, it's not something on your plate, but it comes, you know, it grows wild and, you know, people cultivate it over many years. Communities like Peters know, uh, know how to do it. They know that it's important to save the seeds. They tell their children, look at this, this variety, I'm saving it, this species, this is the name, you know, kind of thing. And, and, and we need to do this. Then it becomes part of their everyday life. So it's not just about eating, but it's also about saving. This is part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And Peter, would you say that's something that you know your your community also truly values, saving uh, all those different uh, varieties that you have, and making sure that there is a sort of like um, there is there is knowledge of it, right? And it's sort of like cataloged in its own in your own way. Would you say that that's important as well for you guys? Yes, I think that according to uh, you know, um, the the local, they they just get the rice and look at it. And they will know for sure uh-huh. which varieties is this. But um, I think we need to do like um, what you say, uh, a catalog, a better catalog to to look into. So that for me itself, if I if I look into uh, a gunisek, if I if I take one, I, I'm sure I'll I will lose which which varieties is this. And uh-huh. um, I think this knowledge need to be. Uh, um, improve and they, they have to be something have to be done uh, to, to keep the tradition alive, especially among um, new generation. And if you look at uh, who's doing the the taxing job in a field, it's 
all our parents. Mm. And um, yeah, so though we are at the kampung, we live in the kampung, we 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 go and uh, help them with the pay, but we didn't have a hundred percent interest <laughs> on on what they are doing. So um, back to the question. Uh, I think we we have to to do something quick today so that this this knowledge still within the the community and um, my generation have to learn more. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I mean, I guess that that kind of leads to my next question as well. That you know, other authorities, Ahmadi, for example, collaborating enough, uh, you know, with farmers in, in terms of sourcing these seed samples, gathering information about traditional rice varieties. Um, uh, Liani, you know, any anything from your research about that? Yeah. So, like what Peter actually mentioned, that you know, one of the challenges is that in one community you can have a particular name for a rice. But in another community, it's a different name for the same. So so sometimes, you know, they're classified in different categories, but they're actually the same rice or they've experienced some kind of variation. So uh, that's the challenge uh, with categorizing and research. So it feels like a race against time for MRD or research institutes like that, where they're actually going to the villages and, you know, trying to collect samples and, you know, in one, like uh, one of the re- officers actually told me that, you know, they went to an Orang Asli village in Pahang and it was also known to have over like 30 different varieties, but what's left is nine. So imagine about 80% of that, you know, varieties have been gone. It's lost and extinct. It's also hard to access dif- these different um, areas, you know, because it takes, you know, it's off-road and takes amount of money and time. So um, yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done and, and you know, that's why research institutes like Mardi is really important um, and working together with farmers as well. Yeah, and I think, uh, again, we come back to the gene bank, right? Uh, mm. Because, uh, uh, Leonie, if, if I'm not mistaken, the gene bank actually serves everybody, not just uh, governments or anything. They actually serve communities because communities come to them, don't they, Liani? Yeah, so farmers can actually send a request to say like, hey, I like this variety of rice that my parents used to grow. And then the Mardi researchers will be able to provide them with a sample, which they can then grow back. So this actually happened for uh, the communities uh, in Bakun, where they they had to relocate, right? They were displaced and they could not taste their heirloom variety anymore. So they actually reached out to Mardi to get um, a sample of that rice. So that's that's how useful the gene bank is for communities who want to get back their heirloom varieties. Okay. All right. Um, we're just going to go for one more quick break. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about the future of heirloom rice farming here in Malaysia. I'm speaking today to Liani MK. She's a contributing writer uh, to Makaranga, Wong Siu Lin, an editor and co-founder of Makaranga, and Peter Tadam, a tour guide from the farming community of Long Sumado in Sarawak. We are talking about heirloom rice today, uh, why it's so important, why we need to uh, you know, focus a bit more on it in terms of uh, uh, our food security, how it can address food security concerns, why it's really, really important to preserve what we have. We'll continue that discussion after this quick break. Keep it here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. 
Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Today, we're talking about heirloom rice. Joining me to do that are Liani MK. She is a contributing writer for environmental journalism portal Makaranga, Wong Siu Lin, an editor with Makaranga and the co-founder of Makaranga, and Peter Tadam, a tour guide from the farming community of Long Samado, Sarawak, who's sharing uh, his experiences, of course, uh, and his community's experiences uh, of producing heirloom rice uh, in their village, in their community, and how that's been continuing for generations. So we want to talk about the... Imp- so we we are talking about the importance of preserving this. But, you know, um, Peter, as you mentioned, um, the younger generation aren't quite uh, interested in it, right? Because, uh, you know, like you said, like, they want to go to the, the, the towns to work. Um, it's not so commercially viable, perhaps, right? And just going back to something you said earlier, uh, Liani, about uh, Kazana Research Institute, right? They mentioned that commer- commercialization of traditional rice cultivation you know, could be done, right, and could actually contribute to economic empowerment for rural communities. Would you like to expand on that point for us, just to, to explain how they said that could happen? Yeah, so most of, you know, as Yulin mentioned earlier, most of the people impacted or farmers are from the rural poor. So, but they are also, the, you know, the ones growing these traditional heirloom varieties, which could actually um, be sold at a much higher price to to niche markets. And so there is a potential there to help alleviate um, poverty line in in these different villages, um, and as Peter mentioned, yes, there are some certain challenges towards a- accessing the markets, and so what happens is that uh, farmers end up selling, um, you know, just a portion, and sporadically to the nearest town, or it's through you know other organizations or social enterprises and. So there has been an, a need for more involvement within the supply chain or to actually help uh, improve that supply chain so that farmers can actually sell their market or even collectives in the community. Mm-hmm. And so one, one way that's been talked about in, in this kind of discussions is the using the geographical identification uh, certification, or also known as the GI certification. So what this does is that it signifies a particular product from a community um, that is specific to that particular location and has specific characteristics. So, you know, in in Malaysia, we have like 98 products and examples of this can be like the Sarawak pepper. Uh, in India, it's the Darjeeling tea. And so products like this can actually help uh, the particular uh, country or the location because it in, it increases. Um, for example, if we look at Vietnam, right, uh, there is this particular orange uh, it's called Chow Fong, Chow Fong Orange. And um, once it received its GI certification in about 2014, the consumption of that particular orange increased by twofold. Oh, wow. And, and so there, and then that, that actually expanded the market, and now it's a bigger market in Vietnam. And the same with Darjeeling tea, where it's actually the first product in India to receive a GI certification. And right now it's it's already exporting 70%, like 70% of Darjeeling tea produced in India is actually exported. There is a whole new market, you know, whole potential for expanding. And, you know, in, in Sarawak, there is the Barrio Rice, the um, Beeris and Bajong. So these have already received GI certification and, you know, there's potential for rice like Adan varieties in Long Samadu to receive that. Maybe Peter could also talk a bit about the Adan rice from Long Samadu. Yeah, Peter, go ahead. Yeah. Most people know that uh, barrio rice is uh, for sure the the most um, um, commercial rice 
but actually looking into uh, GI or um, location where they plant the rice, it's it's all from Sarawak Highland, mm. and um, within our kampung, we we all plant the same rice, uh, the, the way people plant in Barrio and also Baklalan, and th- this rice is. Uh, since Barrio started to commercialize this Adan rice, people started to to ask and a demand for this particular rice, and um, we, we had difficulties, you know, try to to bring out our rice. Some people will say we'll, we'll ask for a barrel rice. Actually, uh, they they commercialize the rice earlier and pattern the rice of, or the brand earlier than us, so we have to stick with them. When people asking, uh, this is Adan rice. Yes, this is Adan rice, but not from Barrio. We plant it in Long Samadu <laughs> or, or, or Baklalan. So uh, Adan rice is um, one of the the commercial crops that people rely on for cash, a quick cash. Like we can call it quick cash mm. for the local community. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just just have a comment just based on, on the, the research and writing that Liani has done and just listening now to the conversation with Peter. Uh, I think a lot of times to commercialise, there's a lot of barriers. People, you know, it's it's, it's very, very hard to commercialise something if you live 900 metres uh, high up in the highlands and you're four hours away from the nearest town. Transport is very expensive. Roads are very bad. Uh, know-how, you know, to, to market and to commercialise something is very difficult. And I think a lot, lot of times these are actually, you know, community development projects rather than a commercialization project. So if somebody wants to come in and say, oh, I'm going to help you commercialize something. And yes, I, I have a good heart and I really want to do it. Um, but they don't realize it's you have to work with the community, mm. you know, and you have to work with, in their way. I think uh, Liani also wrote in her article, right? Um, and, and Peter can, can, can back it up, you know, whether outsiders come in and they try and use outsider ways to to work with villagers or to commercialize something instead of working with the villager again it's not because they come from you know a bad place but you know maybe they don't quite understand it's actually a community development project or approach that is needed so peter do you think that when outsiders come in to help you commercialize your rice should they be taking more of a community development approach rather than a commercial approach Yes, I totally agree. It doesn't have to be, I mean, we're happy that they commercialize and bring our products out. But uh, to me, it have to be done among the community. Um, uh, there's a, a quote about, you know, teach someone how to fish or instead of feed them with fish. Mm-hmm. So this is all goes to the community or to the to the outsiders, uh, how, how they um, deal with with the, the products that they are taking from us. So in my point of view, it have to be a knowledge or some technology or they have to teach the local how to do it uh, ourselves instead mm. of, you know, uh, feed us with fish and how, how long we can sustain the way they, they do that. So, you know, when they show how we're going to do it and in a way road is getting into our kampung the, the the network is getting in and in the near future we, we might uh, learn to do it ourselves so i think um, they, they have to pass 
uh, this knowledge to the community instead of do, do it for, for themselves. Yeah. Uh, Liani, you wanted to add something to that? Yeah, so, you know, something like, for example, we're talking about the GI certificate, right? It would actually help to protect um, these varieties for that particular community because, you, for example, barrio from the barrio highlands, you cannot plant barrio in Kedah and say it's barrio rice. Mm. It has to be from Sarawak in that particular location. So it's it's kind of like a patent, you know? And so if you can do that with particular heirloom varieties, it would actually help the community and protect and give back like, economically to that community that produced it. So it would um, certain measures would help to yeah to protect that. And yeah, I, I think there needs to be a lot of conversation and listening, listening to what people really want. And, uh, you know, it is true that although, you know, the farmers are older and they don't have the energy to learn how to market on social media or bring it to the cities, but youths are going to the cities. They are working in industries that also, you know, involve marketing or packaging, you know, so there there is a potential to engage, you know, youths there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, we, we can come in with the best of our intentions, wanting to help, but I think... A lot of, you know, for example, like feeding rice to livestock, you know, for like quality rice to livestock, you know, for for some of us, it's not, that's horrible. But for others, it's like, why not? You know, it's it's something we plant, we want to give back and we eat the, you know, the livestock too. So, so it's a lot of listening and understanding that, you know, people have different ways of practicing. Yeah. It's not just about the maximising of the profit. Like, you know, there are so many things that we need to take into consideration. Okay. I guess, you know, I mean, we're just running out of time. But so, so just to kind of conclude, right, looking ahead, uh, how do you see the future of alum rice farming in Malaysia? You know, what steps do you think should be taken or can be taken to further enhance its contribution uh, to food security, economic development, especially uh, in, in rural areas? I, I hope for more... Um Firstly, collaboration or or more access to markets for communities because they they want to farm, they want to sell it, so they just don't know how. And engaging with the youths, as Peter mentioned, that's a challenge. Getting them interested as well in their you know in their parents' uh, farming. And another thing is also research. Um, hope because as also Peter mentioned, you know, like there's a there's a growing threat of extinction or forgetting. Uh, ancestors' knowledge and and so having more research categorizing these different varieties and yeah that that would really help as well. Okay, uh, Sulin, any any concluding message perhaps that you'd like to leave us with? Well, I think we have to take this issue of uh, rice security very very seriously, and we should uh, learn take lessons from from anywhere from a community nine hundred meters above sea level in the highlands of yeah. Sarawak. They provide lessons for us and, and could we learn something from them, the way they value their seeds, the way they store it? Yes, it might be necessity, but the whole sort of knowledge system that goes along with that, uh, you know, and exactly what Liani said just now, it's like, uh, you know, un- appreciating and respecting their way of doing things. If they want to feed excess rice to livestock, there's a reason for it, uh, you know, and if we appreciate that, uh, then I think we just become richer in many ways. Uh, you know, and I, I think uh, actually some of the quotes that uh, Liani got from the Mardi researchers, I think they are very, very good people in government. I know they get knocked all the time, but, you know, there are genuine conservation people within uh, government agencies and they really, really care about the importance of uh, biodiversity, diversity of genetic resources and conserving them. 
Okay. Uh, Peter, before I let you go, any any message, anything that you'd like, you know, uh, folks here in mostly, I guess, Peninsula Malaysia to know uh, about Alum Rice, about, you know, the, the practices that you guys have, anything at all, any any concluding message? If you, interest, if, if you consume rice daily and if rice is goes into your uh, plate and spoon uh, three times a day, please come and experience uh, <laughs> what we have, how we're going to do it, how the rice goes to your table. Um, please come and experience the, the, the harvest and um, you will appreciate how, how tough is getting the rice goes to everyone's table. Uh, these days yeah at the same time i i can bring you around there's so many things to see apart from rice we have a beautiful jungle there's some cultural and um, historical sites that you can visit while you're around yeah <laughs> okay so we must come and visit you lapita i'm looking forward to that coffee okay i really want to try that so we'll see you in <laughs> Lusamato very soon thank you so much aliani any last message you'd like to leave us with yeah, uh, you know, we like Peter say we eat we eat rice every day. Like it's part of our culture, and and it's so funny because we still don't know so much about it. I mean, even in Long Sumadu, it used to be paddy, you know, paddy bukit. You know, they used to grow in the hills, but even today's generation don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about my my grandmother's you know planting, and it's quite sad. So, so I hope for you know like that we will know more about it. We'll we'll preserve these. It will also help us in understanding who we are, but also our future, right, in the face of climate change. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, all of you, uh, for joining me today. I was speaking to Liani MK, Makaranga contributing writer, Wong Su Lim, editor of Makaranga, and Peter Tadam, tour guide from the farming community of Long Samado in Sarawak. Uh, do go and read that article. It's available at makaranga.org. Uh, just search for the, the title. It's Sowing Seeds of Resilience in Alum Rice. Again, available at makaranga.org. But if you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash earth. You can also find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.